BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolution Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. As always, I'm Megan Burge, partner at BakerBots LLP, recording from my beautiful closet in Joshua Tree, California. I'm deeply jealous of my guest today because he has an actual office that supports podcast recording. I don't know how I feel about that. My partner, Jeff Wood. Prior to joining BakerBots, Jeff served as the Acting Assistant Attorney General for the Justice Department's Environmental and Natural Resources Division, affectionately known as ENRD to those of us who litigate environmental enforcement cases. And Jeff is the ideal guest for today's podcast because while this is an episode in our administration transition series, we are going to cover our expectations for environmental enforcement in the new administration. So with that, Jeff, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, Megan, thanks for letting me join you. And, uh, you know, I'm not picking on your closet recording studio, but my office studio is merely a, a blue gym mat put up uh, behind me to, to catch the sound waves as they come through the office. But when you hear uh, balls bouncing on the door behind me, that's my kids. Uh, we've got lots of school projects going on right now, so hopefully we'll be able to get through this without too many interruptions. But I'm yeah, sure that's okay so when you're you. having... When you're having gym class, we'll just call that gym class out in the hall. And points for creativity. <laughs> this is what we do here at BakerBot Lawyers. Right. We bring you creative solutions like Blue Gym Mat. Exactly. So with that, short overview of what we're going to cover uh, for everybody's info who's listening. We're going to kick off with a level set on sort of the nuts and bolts on litigation. We're going to discuss key principles that are likely to change in the coming administration. We're going to highlight trends, which is really taking a step back because it's it's really easy to talk about, oh, the Trump administration did this, Biden administration is going to do that. But I do think there's a benefit and just done a lot of work compiling information on this, really just looking at overall trends as well, because that helps you look more long-term in charting your course. And then we're going to close out with the practical tips. I mean, we're going to share what we think companies should be doing now to get their ducks in a row. And I'm going to say, I'm sure that none of you have ducks that need to get in a row. I'm sure everybody listening has ducks that are so disciplined about staying in that row, never get out of line, but just in case, it never hurts to check. So with that, Jeff, I'm going to turn it over to you to start with our level set. Yeah, thanks, Megan. And it's really, you know, always a good time to have this conversation, whether there was a new administration or not, right? People want to be thinking about uh, how to comply, what, uh, where are the issues where there might be risks or, or uh, exposures. Um, before we talk a lot about you know, what's happening uh, with the new administration coming in. I mean, I know a lot of folks, even experienced environmental lawyers who don't really have a firm grasp on the inner workings of environmental enforcement. Um, how does enforcement happen at EPA? How does it end up over at DOJ? Who all is involved? And so just to recap briefly, um, you know, the roles and responsibilities, who really gets involved in federal environmental enforcement. On the front lines, you have EPA, and OECA, the Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance. Um, currently, that office is led by Susan Bodine, and obviously we'll have a new, a new uh, OECA head coming in here soon. 
Um, and at OECA, they're divided up into both civil and criminal offices. And so you have cases that are worked up within the, within the, the bureaucracy of EPA, either on the civil side or the criminal side, or sometimes both. Uh, and often those are resolved via administrative settlements. Um, and we could talk more about that later, but um, that's one pathway to, to enforcement. Um, but on a fair number of occasions, um, EPA will look into a matter and decide that it needs to be referred over for civil enforcement, not just something they'll enforce administratively, but something that needs to be referred over to the U.S. Department of Justice. And that's where ENRD, the Environment Division, steps in. And like OECA, ENRD has two enforcement uh, sections. Uh, one uh, is the Environmental Enforcement Section, EES, we call it, and um, primarily responsible for the civil enforcement of environmental uh, laws and regulations. Um, and then you have an Environmental Crime Section, ECS. One of our partners, Steve Solo, used to uh, be the chief of that, of that uh, very important group at DOJ. And they have the primary responsibility within ENRD of enforcing criminal statutes. And we still like Steve, so that's good. <laughs> we like, we're glad he's on our side now. Um, <laughs> he's super helpful and very experienced in those areas. But so at EPO ECA, you have civil and, and criminal um, components to it. DOJ, ENRD, you also have civil and criminal enforcement components. I will put one little footnote, something that not a lot of people know. Um, the environmental defense section at ENRD, which typically defends EPA rules, has a has a pretty small piece, but an important piece of enforcement. They do all the 404 uh, wetlands enforcement cases, um, which is sort of a vestige of how ENRD has evolved over the years. But um, basically, you've got, got those two groups involved in enforcement at ENRD. Then the a large bulk of environmental enforcement on the civil side and on the criminal side happens out in the U.S. attorney offices throughout the United States, so more than 90 districts. And so you may have a local matter um, that doesn't actually have a lead attorney at DOJ ENRD who um, is taking the taking over the case, and, and, and oftentimes that's an assistant U.S. attorney. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how it works out with the civil and criminal enforcement side. Of course, another pathway, which we can talk a little bit more later, um, is the citizen enforcement aspect as well as state and local enforcement. Um, but as far as federal enforcement goes, those are your main, your main players and their roles and responsibilities. I mean, nuts and bolts also, a lot of people ask questions like, okay, why is my case uh, a civil case versus a criminal case or vice versa? Or sometimes cases are pursued as both. You know, I think the dividing line that's historically been established and has generally stayed true over the years, um, you know, environmental, federal environmental statutes um, make so many things um, uh, unlawful. There's just so many regulations and requirements. Um, the default rule is civil violation, right? Not criminal. But where there is some indication of criminal intent, um, as well as you know, uh, either a serious um, danger or risk that's involved or some fact that, su that, that supports a, a view that the company has disregarded safety or disregarded the environment or, or sometimes what you see is it's not the underlying action, but the aftermath and what the company does. Um, if there's yeah. some dishonesty or false con uh, uh, bad conduct. Um, or lastly, if it's a, re a significant repeat violator, you might see something go, go criminal. But 
for the most part, you know, 90% of the time you're talking about civil enforcement. Yeah, so I think that's, I mean, that's, yeah. So, yeah, well, so what else helpful, can you Yeah, well, I think it's a great segue It's right there because it is true a lot of folks don't understand why they might have an AUSA being brought on their case locally. And frankly, with the types of cases we tend to defend, you get both the DOJ attorneys and the ASUSA and plus the state folks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our clients are very popular when they get sued, I should say. Yeah, yeah and there's so. there's really helpful resources out there for people to take a look at and, and um, if they're trying to understand how this actually works from a nuts and bolts perspective. I know at the DOJ website, there's something called the Justice Manual which is the guidebook that governs how Justice Department lawyers do their work. And there's a whole section in there um, on all of the environmental procedures that are followed for where cases are referred and how they're handled and which section gets involved and when does the matter go to the local uh, U.S. Attorney's Office and those sorts of things. And then settling cases, what are the rules of the road for the government and, and how they settle a case um, and whether a case goes civil or criminal or administrative or whatever. And all that's spelled out in regulations and guidance. And hopefully we will include links to it in our episode notes. So if the listener is looking for that, they will be able to find it. That's a really good segue. I think um, a good time for us to turn to discussing what we're thinking are going to be the key changes between the policies of the current administration and the incoming administration. And just thinking about where to start, you mentioned the rules of the road. How does that shape um, how those policies are implemented? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that obviously happens every change in administration is new people come in with new priorities. Um, the rules of the road and the principles of enforcement uh, shouldn't really change that much. I mean, there are areas where there's some gray area, but I mean, when you're talking about things like cooperative federalism and impartial rule of law, those are principles that should govern from one to the next. But the priorities certainly do change and they should change. That's a reflection of what's happened in the with an election and the way our government works. And so you know, in the current administration, you saw sort of a back to basics mantra, uh, clean air, clean land, clean water. Um, you, instead of having national enforcement initiatives, you had national compliance initiatives trying to promote the idea of it's better to have a company achieve compliance now and avoid litigation than spend five or 10 years arguing in court about what a, what a, requir a, a regulation requires. Um, and, and so we also had an emphasis on sort of um, compliance and rec uh, integrity. So you saw some a lot of cases continue to be brought um, in sort of the defeat device context. Um, and so I think you'll see some of that continue on um, in in the Biden administration, but obviously a new focus. Instead of back to basics, it's going to be uh, climate change, environmental justice, um, and seeing those issues more infused into the decision making about how cases are brought, which cases are brought, um, how cases are settled. The terms of the settlement. Um, uh, what are the stakeholder communities that are brought in to the to the case? Um, all those things come into play, and I think you'll see changes there that'll be important. Jeff, thanks for that. I think it's worth pausing though and just digging a little deeper here. How will the Biden administration bring these priorities to bear in practice? Yeah, yeah. Both what goes into the original complaint that initiates a case will change. I mean, there may be some new elements, some new theories um, that a new administration might want to build into uh, an enforcement action that maybe the current administration wouldn't have been comfortable with. Um, on the other 
hand when you get to the end of the case and you're talking about settlement, what goes into a settlement to resolve it. Um, I think this administration has been pretty somewhat narrow in the scope of remedies that they're looking for, um, focusing mostly on penalties um, and less on some of the other bells and whistles that would go on, go, go along with an environmental settlement. I think we'll see a return to some of the Obama type settlements that we saw where um, environmental projects, third party payments, et cetera, eventually get brought back in. Um, and, you know, it's not going to change overnight, I don't think. I mean, it's one of the things I've been telling people is, yeah, you're going to see a lot of change, but these things don't happen right away. You have new officials coming in. They're going to have to take time to establish new policies and, and, and educate the career staff as to what their expectations are. Um, and eventually, I think over the next year or so, you'll see these manifested in the kinds of cases that are brought, the number of cases that are brought, and how the cases are settled or, or litigated. You know, I can say from experience, for companies that may be currently subject to an enforcement action, this can be a very uncomfortable period, especially if you're in the process of negotiating a settlement. Essentially, you're waiting for a new set of decision makers for the new administration to get their feet under them. Yeah, I mean, I remember showing up, I, I arrived on the very first day of the Trump administration at DOJ that that afternoon, um, was sworn in. And <laughs> it's funny, you know, you, you think you're going to show up and immediately everything's going to, you know, change. But in fact, the doors to ENRD were locked and no one was there. <laughs> and so, um, and that was a Friday afternoon and um, ended up having some phone calls with our deputy at AAG's um, some great folks there who I really enjoy working with. Um, but eventually you, you begin to get the, the memo sent up to you. You have the conversations with the career staff about the cases that they've been working on. Um, and, uh, you know, I had the benefit of coming in after, after uh, John Cruden, who was a terrific uh, head of ENRD and, um, you know, had left the division in really, really good shape. And um, a lot of uh, memos and, and complaints will be ready, will be there for the new team to come in and pick up with. Um, and, you know, I know there's been a very tumultuous period for our country, and I think we're all very well aware of that. Um, I think there, I'm, I'm optimistic that there will have been a very professional handoff, both at EPA and at DOJ, of all these matters. And certainly the career ranks who have been there mm -hmm. um, working on these things have been through transitions before um, and will be able to, to navigate that with, with, with the, uh, the companies or, or defendants who they're engaged with in cases. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough. I think I speak for everyone in our group how highly we think of the career staff at those agencies because there are certainly people that we've worked with across numerous administrations, and they are consummate professionals, and they're there to do their job. Yeah, totally true. I saw that firsthand. Well, we are actually on pace for our agenda, so yay us. What kind of lawyers actually stay on track? That's great. <laughs> um, we haven't veered off. So I think that's a good spot. Um, you touched on supplemental environmental projects and the role that they'll play. Is there anything else you want to say about that before we sort of move on to our next agenda item? Well, I mean, clearly the the current administration um, was skeptical of of adding on a lot of bells and whistles to environmental settlement. Jeff, time out. I'm going to jump in. When you say bells and whistles. What's a bell? What's a whistle here? So, I mean, yeah, you think about third-party payments, which are different than supplemental environmental projects, but I think people kind of lump them together. Um, the, one of the early steps of the Trump administration was to prohibit third-party payments 
uh, in settlements, but there was a carve out for payments that were necessary to quote, directly remedy the environmental harm at issue in a case. Um, and that was defined in, in DOJ guidance. That's now actually been curtailed even more in, in recent months, um, as have supplemental environmental projects and the ability to do that. Um, this was all codified actually in DOJ regulations recently. So the new administration coming in, um, I would expect over time to, to roll out some reforms um, to, to pull that back. And what does that mean? It just means that when you go to settle a case, um, you know, you're going to have your penalty, your civil penalty, and then you're also going to have injunctive relief. What are you doing to actually um, come into compliance? And then on top of that, what else are you going to do to address the equities that the administration wants you to address, whether that's EJ concerns, climate concerns, or other issues relevant to the case? That's a big change from what's happened in the current administration. And it makes me think of some of the cases we saw settled in the Obama administration where the dollar value was much higher than you would have seen in the, in the Trump administration. Uh, and I think it, I know from our side of being the people who actually are negotiating these things, that's a critical, that's a critical difference mm -hmm. because it allows your client to be thinking about what, what tools are available to them. Mm -hmm. And when it's more narrow, you have fewer tools. When you have more leeway to talk about, for example, what's going to mitigate the harm, it gives more tools. And I agree 100% that I think there's going to be a very renewed emphasis on this in the, in the incoming administration because of their priority, particularly around environmental yeah. justice. I mean, as you know, as a group, we've been kicking around a lot. And, I, you know, spoiler alert, I am going to do a podcast with one of our other partners, Nadira Clark, on this. But, you know, there's not as much direct regulation saying, here's how you address environmental justice. So some of these more discretionary tools for the administration may be where they look to make progress on that front. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and when you think about the way this will actually affect cases, I, I think one thing you can do is compare some relatively comparable cases from the Obama uh, administration and the Trump administration. And, and the set that, that I look at for this is the, the defeat device cases, the Volkswagen, Fiat, and the, and the I was going to ask if you had a favorite. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I worked I worked a lot on, on Fiat. Um, and I'll tell you, when you look at the, the three cases, Volkswagen settled primarily in 2016. That case involved, um, you know, extensive vehicle recall, um, $1.4 billion civil penalty, but then also included $3 billion for mitigation and $2 billion for um, essentially for zero emission vehicle um, support. And when you had the similar kind of case settled in the Trump administration, you actually had on a per vehicle basis, a civil penalty that was basically the same or a little higher, um, but you didn't have the um, multi-billion dollar mitigation. You had $100 million for mitigation of what they calculated to be the actual harm in the case. And you didn't have um, some of the other mandates that were in there. So I think you see, you'll see a shift back to, like I said, the bells and whistles that we saw um, attached to settlements uh, in the past administration, and maybe things will be even turned up a bit more as the scope of, think so. of remedies are looking for um, get broader. Yeah, I think so. And this is just me shaking a crystal ball simply because, feel free to disagree with me here, Jeff, but I feel like 
the amount of discretion because it's not as much curtailed by statute in this particular arena because it is active litigation creates some of the flexibilities that the administration can look to to achieve some of its goals whereas they may be more limited or boxed in operating through the regulatory side of the house so yeah I think there's some opportunities here that we'll see when you mentioned at the top of this podcast about some more novel approaches. I think that this is an area where people should really be keeping their eye on. Mm-hmm. Agree hundred percent. Yeah. In some ways it might make um, settlements easier to achieve um, uh, because there's more flexibility uh, in the incoming administration from their perspective as to what can be included in the settlement. Um, and then, but you know, it's also true that these settlements have to be approved by federal judges. And so um, the federal judiciary has shifted um, to the right a bit during the last four years, it's fair to say. And so these judges will have opportunities to look at these settlements and there will be, as we see in consent decree processes, public comment opportunities. And some folks may come in and say, hey, that doesn't comply with the statute. They're demanding too much. And it's, it's possible that some judges might see concerns with overly broad settlements. Um, and so uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how all that shakes out. Well, I think this is a good chance to transition into talking about enforcement trends. We've been sort of down in the weeds on where we are today, where we might be going. Let's stop back, step back and just talk a little bit about the bigger picture and what you see on that front. Yeah, well. There's been a lot said, I think, over the last several years about the statistics and the trends of enforcement. And I think a lot of folks have their views and theories about whether there's been a significant downturn in the last few years or what have you. But um, when I look at the numbers and what I saw when I was at DOJ was, you know, there really is a, a, a steady long-term decline over more than the last decade in terms of the number of inspections that are happening uh, at the EPA level. And those are the things that oftentimes result in uh, enforcement cases. Um, And so if you look at the data, over the last decade, you've had a pretty steady downward trend in the number of inspections. And that was made even more true in 2020 because of the COVID effect, way significant decrease. in, in the number of inspections that were happening. You know, as we look at the new administration, I think industry should be expecting a surge of resources put towards inspections and seeing the number creeping back up. And then what does that mean? I mean, I think we'll talk later about practically how should I be preparing for that? How should our clients be preparing for that? Um, But then we also saw that downward trend in inspections reflected in uh, a downward trend over the last decade in the number of civil enforcement cases that were being initiated, Um, fewer cases but I would say they're getting more complex. So the cost of these cases are going up, the complexity of the cases are going up, Um, but the fact that there's a lower number, I think is a reflection of a reduction in inspections that we saw, but also a reflection of the increasing um, attention that U.S. industry has paid to compliance. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously some do that better than others, but I think we're seeing that borne out in the statistics that go back more than a decade. Um, and then that's also true in, in criminal enforcement. There's been a steady decline in the number of federal environmental criminal prosecutions over the last decade. In fact, a 60% decline over the last 20 years. There was a, an uptick actually in 2020 um, and uh, between 2019 and 2020. 
I think it's interesting to, to watch that trend to see if with um, uh, sort of a commitment in the Biden administration to, to have a resurgence of focus on enforcement, especially environmental enforcement, whether we'll see those criminal uh, trend lines go, go up. I suspect we probably will. Um, and we'll see more cases brought uh, criminally than maybe in years past. Um, and so that's sort of the way I look at the trends and, you know, time will tell whether the, the numbers change all that much. I don't think the numbers will change overnight, but I think, you know, let's have this podcast next year, Megan, and talk about it, um, or maybe the year after, and we'll have a chance to look at the numbers and see how they play out. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you brought up about COVID, Jeff. Yeah, and one of the practical things that clients can think about um, now, I mean, hopefully we're beginning the process of, of moving out of this uh, period of pandemic, um, but taking a look at the compliance records during the COVID uh, period and whether um, you have the documentation or whether you complied with the COVID guidance that EPA and the states were issuing back in March, April, and May. We saw a lot of a big flurry of, of guidance then. And so taking a look at that and making sure that um, if you're asked questions next year about what happened in 2020, you're able to produce the documentation to show uh, compliance um, and where you couldn't to explain why you couldn't comply based on COVID considerations. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was a lot of flurry of saying, um, you know, concern raised in the media about that particular guidance from various sectors. And I think ensuring that your paperwork showing that you're still in compliance during that entire time, even if you had to make some choices about certain things like monitoring or reporting based on ensuring that uh, infections weren't spread and the safety of your workers by not bringing out outside contractors. Mm -hmm. um, having the paperwork at the end of the day is always the best answer from a lawyer is gonna say. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and maybe it. also, yeah. And, and also, I mean, I think there's a broader uh, understanding now of sort of health and safety issues related to to these sorts of pandemic considerations um, maybe maybe there's clients out there who, who say hey i haven't taken a look at my uh, health safety and environmental compliance policies lately let me go back and look at those and see how they address um, employee travel and mm -hmm. um, and health issues that that kind of have arisen in 2020 that uh, maybe weren't thinking about as much um, pre-covid before moving off the trends topic, Megan, I did want to mention one other uh, a trend that I'm following. I'm really interested to see how it plays out, uh, and that's citizen suit enforcement. Um, one of the hunches that we've had, and we've talked about this with some of our some of our partners um, during the Trump administration, the NGO community focused so much of their resources, their legal resources, in fighting the regulatory reform agenda. Um, those resources will, will be able to be pulled back a bit because I, I think there's a fair expectation that the Biden administration will roll back um, uh, a lot of what happened in the last four years, at least try to do so. And those resources will then be shifted to where? Uh, and, and I think a, a large share of that may be shifted to citizen suit enforcement. Um, and certainly they can look back over the last several years and find um, uh, DMRs or or emissions data um, and, 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 and try to come up with uh, some interesting cases um, to bring against industry um, in an effort to sort of support the Biden administration 
in their quest to ramp up enforcement um, to some degree. So I'm watching that trend. I want to see if we do actually see an uptick in citizen suit enforcement. Um, and obviously, uh, companies should be aware of that possibility and be ready to respond um, uh, to make sure that um, they're adequately defended in those cases. Yeah, great point, Jeff. Okay, well, I think now is a great spot for, our, for us to switch to our last um, category on the agenda that we set forth for today. And I'm gonna give myself and you, well, virtually you, a big pat on the back for us staying on track. So let's talk about some of the practical tips for folks some of them very much in the weeds on how do you get your ducks in the row or make sure they're still in the row and also some of the bigger picture things just to keep watching. Where yeah. do you want to start, Jeff? Well, I think I'll start with, with DOJ. There has been a lot that's happened over the last several years that the new administration may revisit, but there's, there's a fair amount that I think will carry forward with, with the new administration. One of those is, um, you know, com uh, corporate compliance programs and, there was new guidance issued in June of 2020 by DOJ entitled Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs. We can send around a link um, to folks who want it. But a longstanding document's been updated. And essentially, this is the document that's used by DOJ after a violation occurs to determine whether a company's compliance program is, is effective, whether it's good enough. Um, and I would encourage companies to take a look at that guidance, take a look at uh, EPA's EMS guidance for environmental management systems, and, and take a look at your programs. Look at them from the lens of the new administration coming in. Do they address the topics and issues that are going to be front and center with this new administration? Um, have you considered... And just to yeah. interject, just for anyone who's going, well, how do I know what their priorities are? They've already started putting out documents. Like there isn't a lot of yeah. hide the ball here, even though it is going to involve that people go forward. But there are documents and information that, again, we can put some links in the episode notes where they've said, here are our priorities, here are the things we're looking at, here are the things that are important to us. Yeah, especially as it relates to um, impacts to disadvantaged communities, um, whether related to environmental justice. Um, climate change issues, um, as well as a whole host of other other items where the new administration may say, look, uh, you know, does your compliance program adequately address the impacts in these areas? Are you engaging with stakeholders in these communities to be aware of impacts that, um, uh, that you may not be aware of at, at, at the time, or at least not have integrated into your compliance programs? But what DOJ asks when they come in after, after a violation, they want to know, is your program well-designed? Is it actually being applied earnestly and in good faith? Um, is it actually working in practice or is it just a paper exercise? And the clients we work for, I think they'd all say, no, it's not paper. It's actually working in practice. But you have to be able to show that and demonstrate it. And so making now's a good opportunity, I think, to, to have those conversations and to make sure that um, you avoid scenarios where, look, companies uh, get under scrutiny from DOJ or EPA and their compliance programs are, are looked at as being inadequate in some way. Um, and you can avoid that by looking at them now. Well, and the point you made about community outreach, I just want to double down and amplify that. I mean, it can take a lot of different forms. Um, for example, one of one of my clients, one of my favorite stories is they used to go to the science fair and do a presentation on 
sort of what happened at their facilities every year at the local elementary schools, or they would go to some of the local community centers and participate in various programs for career day for kids. And I think making sure that folks are aware of how invested you are in your community and having that dialogue really goes a long way, both because in a lot of instances, your own staff and your employees work there. And so you are invested no matter what, but also making sure it's present because folks feel more comfortable coming to you with a question or a concern and you can maybe take some steps to resolve it early rather than letting it snowball. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as we are in a period of change, um, it's also going to be super important to stay on top of all of the the new guidance and new policies that are coming out to monitor the right regulatory docket as close as you can. And then to also try to get to know um, the, the regulators that are coming in and to understand their priorities and viewpoints and how that might be affecting the sort of compliance expectations that are out there. And whether you're doing that on your own because you're a large sophisticated, sophisticated company, or maybe you're doing that through your association, um, it's important to be part of that conversation to, to be watching it, to be monitoring it, but also playing a constructive role in ensuring that, um, you know, the system works. Well, I will say the last tip that I have, and then I'm going to give you the honor of closing it out, is working in concert with your ESG folks, because some of the practical things that you mentioned at the top of the section, Jeff, about looking at compliance guidance and looking at sort of these best practices that are out there, Part of the ESG discussion now isn't really just climate, just other things. It's showing that your business is sustainable in the context of compliance and showing how it's good governance. And so there really is some overlap and um, some plan areas to work cooperatively on that front and sort of uh, multiple benefits for companies in taking that sort of compliance review actions. And it might be a good chance to partner for anyone on this podcast listening that's not an ESG person. Um, it's a good chance to potentially reach out and have some synergies there. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, with that, we've completed our agenda for today's episode. Yay, team. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, I just appreciate you, Megan, for making this <laughs> um, podcast available. I really enjoyed the conversation. And, you know, hopefully everyone out there is doing their very best to, to stay alert, to be monitoring compliance and taking responsible actions to ensure compliance with, with all federal, state, and local laws. Um, but I've been around this practice long enough. I know you have been as well, that sometimes things don't work quite right. So we hope that if you come up with some challenges, you see them, that you feel free to reach out, ask any questions. And certainly as we see the laws and regulations changing over the next months and, and, and years ahead, we'll do our part to try to keep, um, keep everyone informed as well. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure as always. And for all our listeners, thank you for spending some time with us. And we'll be back with the next podcast. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. 
Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.